Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Right now, let's talk about traditional healers who are in South Africa and are being exposed to infection, um, but a few can get protective gear. Talking to us about this is Moses Moshabela, Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research and Innovation at at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Thank you very much for joining us, um, um, uh, Moza. Uh, late night greetings to you, Patricia, and to the listeners. Thank you for inviting me. So, Musa, what we are talking about here is the exposure to various infections uh, for mm. traditional healers. And before we even go to the COVID discussion, I'd like us to talk about other infections that we've never really spoken about. I mean, there's, there's the issue of exposure to many other um, diseases based on the practices of traditional healers. Take us through those. Yeah, Patricia, it's a, it's a real issue that I think that we don't often talk about generally. And I think uh, it's something that uh, we are trying to bring some uh, spotlight to in terms of the work that we've been doing recently with colleagues. And um, traditional healers treat people who come with um, diseases. And oftentimes people go to traditional healers before they go to clinics and you find that they don't even know what diseases they are infected with. So a lot of times you find infections like uh, tuberculosis and HIV that could potentially spread if there is uh, some sort of exposure to uh, those infections among traditional healers. They can also catch those infections. And COVID-19 is more recent, but you have these infections that might be in the blood, that might be in the air, that are airborne. And sometimes, you know, um, traditional healers would treat people who come with diarrhea infections and pneumonias and other kinds of infections that they can be exposed to, and this becomes a risk for their health. And and, and obviously noting some of the... Some of the the conditions that traditional healers work under, so for instance, going to water bodies like waterfalls and rivers, some might mm. not be necessarily hygienic. Um, some practices like slaughtering and you know drinking of of um, animal blood and and washing with the blood that might also uh, cause some sort of exposure. Can we talk about that? Well, I think there one thing that we could uh, think about is generally the kind of infections that could jump from animals to humans. Um, I mean, the whole thing around COVID-19 is something that's related to a problem of infections jumping from animals to humans. So you, there is a risk there. The, 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 the fortunate thing is that they often work with animals that are domestic animals anyway that you know are normally in contact with with humans the other practices that they may engage with uh, around that that might be risky uh, to health may not necessarily be specifically about infections um, but about just more generally hygiene and so forth and there's been over the years a lot of effort to try and improve hygiene but I would say that from our side, we focus a lot on these uh, infectious pathogens that can be can be transmitted. HIV has been the biggest focus of of ours, but we are also, of course, concerned about the other infectious agents. But I, I have to admit, I agree with you that there could be broader broader health issues that, if they are not 
you know, taken into account or we don't pay attention to them, they may also result in uh, uh, poor health or, or other kinds of diseases. Now, the big elephant in the room is obviously COVID-19. And Musa, I mean, how exposed are traditional healers to COVID-19? Yeah, we we cannot say for sure um, because we haven't really done studies systematically to look at COVID-19. But, you know, if you think about HIV and you think about the fact that HIV is only transmitted through blood, and uh, and traditional healers can do incisions on 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 their patients. And among those traditional healers who uh, you know do incisions and come into contact with blood, their HIV prevalence is thirty percent, much much higher than people who don't have um, who don't engage in those blood samples. Now, if if three in, in ten traditional healers would get HIV from these infections, from from the blood exposure, then you can only imagine a pathogen that is uh, airborne. And, uh, you know, you find that someone is sick and goes traditionally to a traditional healer, they are sitting in a heart, and uh, they, they are spreading an infection that is airborne. You can then imagine that the infections might must be quite high. Until we have systematically measured how many uh, traditional healers have been infected, we, we're not going to know um, exactly how bad it is. But we can extrapolate from what the work that we've done so far that it would be much higher than we see with HIV. We are talking A-teamers to Musa Mushabele, who's Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research and Innovation at the University of Guazul Natal. And we are looking at traditional healers in South Africa being exposed to infections, uh, but uh, very few can get protective gear or have knowledge of, on how to protect themselves. I'd like to hear your views about our current discussion. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. If you've got questions, you can also call in on 11 Actually, I'd like to hear from traditional healers themselves um, Mm. as to how you as a traditional healer Mm. are keeping yourself protected from um, infections of various uh, natures. Let me go to a WhatsApp here. Good evening to you, Patricia and the guest. My name is Mark. I just want to ask the guest, you see some, especially these days, on the street corners, you find people selling, you know, the snacks, the lizards, some things that, you know, some of the things that are being sold, they are so scary. And you see a guy who is putting on something like a skin of an animal. And are these people also traditional healers? How do you recognize these people? And as, as people, how do we know that this is a traditional healer? This one is just doing commercial. This one wants money. So how, how, how do you rectify that? This is my question. I wanted to understand. For some of them, they are so scary. You, you start to be scared. Instead of getting some treatment, you start to be scared about what they are doing and what they are selling. Thank you. Well, I don't know. Uh, Musa, can you respond to that? <laughs> it's a good question. But I think uh, what, what your listener is referring to is he's uh, expressing the fact that there's not enough understanding in our communities around how to distinguish between the different types of uh, traditional health practitioners. And there are several types. 
And uh, he's correctly pointing out that you will find uh, certain traditional healers who specialize basically in herbs and would often refer to them as herbalists. But uh, they probably just know the plants, the animals, the medicines themselves, and they usually learn from having lived with someone who knows the medicines. But they may not actually be a certified traditional healer who cares for people. Then you have others who would probably provide care and also provide the herbs. And and then you have the ones who are more diviners, like when you say Isango, we are referring to the diviners who really make connection with the spiritual world. Um, and then you can have spiritualists, the ones who use prayer as well, and uh, basically connect slightly differently to the spirit world. So all of them are different types of healers. And, you know, you've got then the bone setters that will talk about the traditional death attendants. There are all these other types um, that are that are involved. And I guess what I'm picking up is, you know, the listeners saying that they don't know how to tell the difference. And if you, and they are afraid that by not knowing, then they can be easily tricked. And And there is that risk really of people who are not, considered legitimate uh, being part of the community and uh, end up they end up uh, you know tricking people and so forth but my view and having worked with uh, this 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 uh, issue of traditional health practitioners for a long time i don't necessarily think that we should use the few apples that are for a lack of better weight rotten to stigmatize everyone else who is involved in the practice of traditional healing. Let me go to an A-teamer who's in Ngandla, Kule. Kule, um, good evening. Mam Pemba Nijani. Sia P, like Yeah, so I was a Koko Foot. I'm thankful. I'm a first time caller. And well, I appreciate you. Okay. Unfortunately, I've got a bit of a flu. I hope my voice is clear. We can hear you loud and clearly and we're wishing you a quick recovery, Kula. 100%. Let me just cut to the chase. Uh, I, I'm an orphan. Uh, I lost both my parents. didn't get to pay my moms. Uh, uh, going forward, I dream about everything. And I've been told by a band, we're born, about my born, all the world. People who assume, to assume, to see better in terms of criminalities who tell me with my dreams. I've picked up Izzy in my yard where I'm standing now. As we are talking, you've got a secret, you've got entities, and what where do I go? What do I do? How do I become, not necessarily a healer, but a healer. I'm talking, I can see tradition, now I'm talking about being a healer, because I've been trying, and my was much you met the again, I can be able to literally take up bottles, lenders with Iba Umling, which comes across as imaged umund of the IP carpet again. I dream about it. I literally visualize it in my dreams and I wake up first thing in the morning and I pick it up. When I look booze with how do I then feel it get from Umshonish or with two all right. You, you know what, Kule, before I, I hand you over to Mklonishwa, I, I I understand the journey where you are right now. 
um, and being someone who's been through the journey um, and, and I understand those visions and seeing things and so on I'm going to implore you to give yourself to to prayer because I, I don't I don't advocate for for um, referrals <laughs> because you might be referred where things are just not going to go well for you so before Umusa is going to come on I'm going to say to you so and 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 don't don't be shy about what you're going to hear so be open to hear for direction because sometimes it's not about going somewhere it's just about yeah. living your true self because that's what spirituality oh, is but uh, good luck with everything cool listen out for umosa as he responds to you musa yeah no i think this is really important and and I think the first part that I want to point out, uh, Patricia, is that um, a lot of people um, who have a calling, um, they get scared by um, what they encounter, the way the calling presents to them. To them. And, and it, it has a lot to do with the fact that um, because the traditional practice in South Africa has been for a lack of a better word, demonized for for many many years, um, uh, nearly a hundred years actually. Um, so in a way, it's it's almost like the moment people start to have visions, uh, dreams, um, they start to have a connection with the spirit world, and they get messages. Then you know they see it as something that is evil, and a lot of people around them will reinforce that. That, that that attitude as well, and a lot of, in a lot of the work that we've done over the years, um, we know that uh, you know people will have callings, and as you correctly said, that for many of them, it when they get over the fear, the you know the first negative reaction, they a lot then gets revealed to them, and they know what to do. You know they they say that. The answer is in you. Even if they need to go and find a guide or find a trainer or something, then that will also be revealed to them to know where they need it, they need to go. But it is also a vulnerable moment. It's a vulnerable place where uh, they can be exploited a lot. Um, so that that is something that they also need to, to, to guard against. And for me personally, I think that, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fear that that comes with uh, those experiences, if it wasn't for for the negativity and the kind of uh, demonizing of those experiences, it wouldn't be so bad um, for a lot of people. People wouldn't reject it as much as they do. In fact, some people they don't all need to go with the but for those who do, then they will get their their answers. That that would be my my view um, based on on a lot of people that we have spoken to in the past. Um, there's there's a message here from they call themselves at. Uh Bot Coin King in Durban. They're saying, Hi, Sis Patricia. I want to know what is traditional healers' council saying about these bogus nyangas who rob our people? They hard earned money. Some of them even uh, trick people into resigning from work and cash out pension funds to give them in the name of wealth. 
Uh, do you have a lot of interactions, Musa, with uh, the Traditional Healers Council? And I know there's there's so many different organizations <laughs> as well representing traditional healers. But uh, the same can be said about um, religious leaders. There are a lot who yeah. are doing bogus things, but yeah, yeah. do you have any interaction with them? So I, I don't personally do, but uh, uh, Professor Nweba Kalemi that we work with at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, he does a lot of uh, research on traditional medicine specifically. We tend to work more with traditional health practitioners. So he is a member of the Interim Council um, for Traditional Health Practitioners. I, I think that um, they are part of a group of people who are trying to support the regulation of traditional health practitioners. But it's a difficult practice to, to regulate. And uh, what it does need, though, is a minister of health who would be supportive and uh, help uh, take the risks that are needed to ensure that the, the, in, the interim council becomes a a permanent council that can regulate the practice, can regulate the, the practitioner, and can re- regulate the products. It's difficult to know how the products are going to be regulated, but it shouldn't be that hard to regulate the, the providers and the practice itself uh, once uh, adequate consultations have been done. They have released uh, about four years ago the regulatory framework, which um, some of our PhD students are looking into it to see how it can be operationalized. The first draft was not great, but uh, hopefully it will improve. So I, I do think that it is urgent that we protect people by regulating the, the practice. Well, on that note, uh, Professor, I'd like to thank you for your time. And uh, we really do hope that uh, traditional healers would be able to find ways and means to protect themselves from various uh, diseases and, um, and ensure their own health as they're seeking to assist others. Is there anywhere or a platform that traditional healers or those who might want more knowledge can get hold of you on? Well, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, for us, we we do a lot of work with our traditional medicine uh, laboratory and the Center for Indigenous Knowledge. Um, and uh, I think that if they can phone our office, then we can refer them to, to the right places. And our number is uh, 031 260 3316. Thank you so very much and uh, have a blessed evening. Thank you. You too and your listeners. Bye. It's 11 o'clock, A-teamers. Let's go straight to the beautiful Zolika Kodashi.